13 years ago, March the 18th, 2010, the Houston Chronicle, in an article quoted the Barna Group, a research group, and this is what they said. The resurrection of Jesus is central to the celebration of Easter, but less, less than one half of adult Americans link the two. The Barna Group found that only 42% of adults tied Easter to the resurrection. Adults between ages 18 and 25 did the worst. David Kinneman, president of the Barna Group, said, the Easter holiday, in particular, still has a distinctly religious connection for people. But the specifics of it are really fading in a lot of people's minds. There is nothing more important than the resurrection. One group that is more likely to deny the resurrection is Gen Z and Millennials. A majority of 18 to 34-year-olds, 59%, said that they do not believe in the biblical accounts of Jesus' bodily resurrection. The resurrection is the most important aspect of our witness. In all of the sermons by the apostles throughout the book of Acts, the resurrection is central to every sermon. It is the heart of the gospel. How well do you know the resurrection? How well can you articulate it to someone else? For the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at the resurrection. Today is going to be Resurrection 101. We are going to look at some of the basic and fundamental truths about the resurrection. If you talk to someone about the resurrection, this is what you need to know. This is what should be in every conversation that you have with someone when you speak about Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, this will be Resurrection 101. Next week will be Resurrection 202. And there will be a quiz on Resurrection 101. Now, we'll see who does not come back next Sunday. As I said to you a few minutes ago, the resurrection is the central subject of every sermon preached by the apostles in the book of Acts. When you read the Gospels and you come to the end of each Gospel, it is the culmination of the time of Jesus here on earth. This is the exclamation point at the end of his life. This is the accomplishment of everything he came to do. 
This is the heart of the message that he gave to the apostles. And so whenever you read any of the letters that the apostles have written, you will find the resurrection being emphasized. Such as Peter opening his first letter and saying, Praise be to God! He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. Now, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures that speak to the resurrection. I have selected a few specific to present to you today. Father, thank you for these words. They are spirit and they are life. They have transformed millions and millions of people since they were first spoken by you and the apostles. Every generation has proved these words true, has experienced your resurrection life. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit that these words would speak to our hearts today. That we would grasp by your help, Holy Spirit, a greater significance of the resurrection. And Lord Jesus, just as you said to the apostles, you are witnesses of these things that we would be an effective witness of your resurrection to this world that needs to know before they perish. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, to begin with, let me say that you don't need to convince anyone of the resurrection. You and I are not in the business of convincing. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we must know the truth. And we must be able to articulate it. We don't need to take a lot of classes. We don't need to know a lot of subjects that relate to theology. We just simply need to know the Bible. In fact, if you know these verses that we have just read this morning only fills up one sheet of paper, but if you know these verses and you know them well, then you can articulate to anyone the significance of the, re of the resurrection and therefore the significance of what you believe. In other words, if you simply know this, you can be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the back. What I've endeavored to do for you this morning is to articulate these verses into this subject matter and these truths. Three different components. The gospel the resurrection, and saving faith. So let's look at it. We hear the word gospel a lot. 
In fact, we often hear someone saying, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Well, the reality is, this is not Matthew's Gospel or John's Gospel. This is the Gospel, as they recorded it, inspired by the Holy Spirit for a particular audience to whom they were writing. Matthew was writing his account of the life of Jesus to a Jewish audience. And so, we will find him saying over and over again, as it was written. We will find him emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah, the King. Mark's Gospel was not formulated and curated by him at all. He was a scribe for the Apostle Peter. The personality of Peter is reflected in the way that the Gospel moves. Peter was a get-it-done person. Do something, even if it's wrong. That's Peter. Can't sit still and figure out what's the right thing. Just do something. And so the gospel moves quickly. It was written for a Roman audience. It emphasizes the works of Jesus because Romans were not impressed by what you could say. It was the Greeks who were impressed by how articulate you might be in presenting your brand of the truth, like the Apostle Paul did when he was in Athens. The Romans said, show me what you can do. And so Mark's gospel presents Jesus in his work. Luke was writing to a Greek, and he was writing as a historian, documenting the life of Jesus. And so you find Luke's gospel filled with details, historical details, that give reliability and credibility to the account of the life of Jesus that he is writing. John did not write to a particular audience, as did the others, but he wrote to emphasize that Jesus was truly the Son of God. And he begins with the words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. Now, each of those books are called the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. The announcement came to the shepherds as they were outside the hills of Bethlehem, tending their sheep on the night that Mary gave birth. And the angels appeared and said, We bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. Unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you can find him. And this is how. That is the gospel. It is the announcement that God has sent a Savior. And this is how to find him. So let's look at what we have here. The gospel is the good news that God, who is holy 
and holds all humanity accountable for every thought, word, and action, has provided through Jesus Christ the means of receiving eternal life in place of eternal death. John 3.16, what does it say? God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not what? Shall not perish. That is the default setting for humanity in the sight of God. Unless something changes, everyone will perish. Everyone that is born has a destiny that ends with them perishing. Why? Because everyone is a sinner. But God has intervened so that we might have eternal life instead of eternal death. The gospel cannot be presented without the message that all of us are sinners in the, light, in the sight of a holy God. Otherwise, there's no good news. And there's no reason for Christ to have come, to live as He did, or to have died. The announcement of the angels. Note that this is good news being proclaimed by messengers who came directly from heaven. Not coming through a human voice. The angels declared, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. What is the root word of Savior? Save. Unless something is wrong, you don't need to be saved. But if God sends a Savior, then He knows you need help. And nothing else will help you except the help that He gives. And so this emphasis... The good news is that though you and I are sinners before God, God has responded to our need and provided salvation. That provision is called salvation. And it's twofold. God's provision for your sin, first of all, requ required the death of Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin. No one can pay for their own sin except by dying. And when you die, you will still find you're in debt when you stand before God. There's no way out. Only Jesus Christ, perfect, without any sin, could meet the penalty that your sins demanded. And the second part, His resurrection as the provision of eternal life. That whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. So let's look at the resurrection. In all of 
Christian belief. Nothing is more contested than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more contested. In fact, it's been contested since that first day when he rose from the dead, right? And it's been contested ever since because it's not marginal. It is fundamental to who he is and what he came to do. Take away the resurrection and you undermine everything else about the credibility of Jesus and the validity of his work. The resurrection is fundamental. It's fundamental to believing that we are sinners in need of salvation. And we will see that as we go along. Muslims, for example, as we said earlier, believe that Jesus is a preeminent prophet. You know what else they believe? They believe what many Christians no longer believe, that Jesus was born of a virgin birth. You know what they also believe? He's the Messiah. And he's coming back at the end of time to rule God's kingdom here on earth. Sounds a lot like what we believe, doesn't it? But you know what they don't believe? They don't believe that he died, and they don't believe that he rose from the dead. They believe that before he could die, God took him back to heaven. Now, you know what you will not find in the Quran? Any message of salvation. In fact, even Muhammad says, I do not know what reception Allah will give me when I die. No assurance of salvation. That's what makes Christianity so different from every other belief system in this world. We are sinners. Jesus Christ came as the fullness of deity. He paid the penalty. He died as our substitute. And then He rose victorious over the curse of sin. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands opposed to the common belief that humanity is inherently good and that I, not God, know what is right for me. Isn't that the posture of our world? I decide what's right for me. I am the center of my life. I do what's best for me. I take care of me. It is my body. It is my choice. Don't tell me what to do. I know what is best for me. You know what? That lie has been around since the Garden of Eden. The same story being told over and over again to every single generation. Behind the resurrection is the death of Jesus Christ. We came together on Friday evening 
for our Good Friday service to recognize the work of the cross. Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem, be delivered into the hands of sinful people, and be killed. Then comes the resurrection. If we are inherently good, then Jesus wasted his life. But the fact is, we are sinners. As Jonathan Edward, in his famous sermon at the time of the First Awakening, the mid-1700s, in a congregational church in New England. In fact, he read his sermon, stood at the pulpit, couldn't see very well, read his sermon, Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit convicting people was so great that people clung to the columns holding up the roof, fearful that the floor was going to open below them and they would fall into the fires of hell. What were the words that we read from John 3, 36? For those who do not believe, the wrath of God remains on them. So scriptures address historically, from beginning to end, the sinful condition of humanity. Our sinfulness is well documented in scripture. It begins in chapter 3 of Genesis and goes all the way to the final chapter when God addresses the sinful lifestyles of people and says, these will not be in the kingdom of God. The Bible is a book of history. It tells the stories of all kinds of people, individuals and nations, and how God felt about their activities. It documents historically the sinful condition of humanity and then God's planned and promised provision of salvation through the Messiah. The story of Jesus is not something that the apostles made up. It was not something that was figured out at the last moment. You and I know. He was the lamb that was slain when? Before the creation of the world. God knew what our need would be, and He planned in advance. Because not only is He a holy God who must judge sin, like any judge must render a verdict when a case is brought before him. He's also a God of love and mercy. And so he planned, and he promised, and he made a provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, fourth point under the resurrection, therefore, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that what? Jesus is Lord. That He is everything that the Scriptures claim Him to be. 
His resurrection proves that He is everything that the Scriptures claim Him to be. And we might also insert here, and everything that He claimed to be. What did He say just a few days before His death to Martha? What did He say to her? I am the resurrection and the life. And then what did He do? He called Lazarus out of the tomb. There is a great story at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. You know the time when they tore up the roof to let the man down because they couldn't get there? And in that setting, when that man was let down, what was the first thing that Jesus said to him? Your sins are forgiven. Everyone around him were thinking, who is this man that he thinks that he can tell someone their sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And then we read, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Said to them, okay, so what do you think it's easier to do? For me to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or for you to say to them, get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Is there anything to see? No. You don't need any evidence. Nothing outward. No outward proof. And so Jesus asked him that question. Which do you think is easier? And then to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins, he said, get up and walk. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out. You see, Jesus always backs up His words. Because He is the truth. He doesn't just say something. He backs it up. And the resurrection is His greatest act of backing up what He has said and proving that He is who He said He is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands as proof that Jesus is Lord as the singular source of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For those of you who over the last couple of years have been part of our Wednesday Bible studies when we were studying in John, we continually found this truth, truth emphasized that Jesus is God's only authorized representative. And he would say, I did not come to do what I want to do. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. And he would say, if you have heard me, you've heard the Father. Seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't speak on my own, although the Father has given me the right to speak the words of life and truth. But I say what the Father has told me to say. Jesus was faithful to represent the Father exactly so that the truth that people needed to know would be revealed. He is the singular source of truth and He is God's only provision of salvation.
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is threefold in its significance. First, it validates his payment for humanity's sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. So if you die to pay the penalty of your sin, what will happen after you die? You will be buried. That will be the end of it, right? We would never know whether your payment was good enough or not. You're dead. Jesus, however, rose from the dead. That's why the words of Scripture, where, O death, is your sting? Jesus dealt with the curse of death He paid for all of humanity's sin. He met the penalty completely. His sacrifice was so perfect and so exceeded all of the sin of the world and all of the judgment of that sin, past, present, and future, that He rose from the dead. And so thus, His resurrection is proof of his payment. Secondly, oh, this is so wonderful. His resurrection invalidates the penalty for sin. For my sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. The resurrection of Jesus invalidates that penalty as it now stands with regard to me. Because he lives, I will live also. And thirdly, it restores for the one who believes that person to a position of being guilt-free before God. The word that we read in Scripture is the word justification. Just as if I had never sinned. The word that is used in Hebrews chapter 10 is perfect or holy. Both are used. Through Jesus Christ, He sees you as guilt-free. The wonderful truth of the good news is that when you and I believe on Jesus Christ, our sins are wiped out past, present, and future. Read the words of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. He makes us, who were once enemies of God, to be holy, blameless, and free from accusation. That's justification. Nothing standing against us. Third component, saving faith. Jesus has died and he's risen from the dead. But there are 1.27 billion people in India who have never heard the name of Jesus. Think of it. 1.27 billion 
people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Therefore, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ does nothing for them. Does nothing for them. What is required? You and I must have saving faith. So, what is faith? Faith is belief in someone or something. Believing that person or that entity to be true and valid. How much of what we read on the internet do we believe? We really should believe very, very little, right? But we put great faith sometimes in what someone or something said. We exercise faith all the time. In everything that we do, as we go through our day, but what you and I need to exercise is saving faith. So, saving faith is believing that I am accountable to God for my sin and that Jesus Christ is the only remedy for my guilt. Saving faith begins with that understanding. I am accountable before God. If you don't believe that you're accountable before God, you will never say, God, I am a sinner, forgive me. It is that posture that will send people to eternal punishment. The psalmist writes about those who flatter themselves in their own eyes too much to even detect their own sinfulness. The world is full of those kinds of people. And if not for the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would number among them. But saving faith begins at that point. We often use the little acronym ABC to illustrate how a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What does the A stand for? Admit that I am a sinner. B, believe on Jesus Christ. C, confess Him as my Savior and Lord. But it always begins with what? I am a sinner. Acknowledging that. Number three. The person who acknowledges their sinfulness and guilt. What's that acknowledgement called? Repentance. Is united through faith with Jesus Christ in His resurrection, or in His death and resurrection. Isn't that a most extraordinary thing? You see, the most important part of you is not the part that you see or anyone else sees. The most important part of your kids are not their life or their future outwardly. It is the condition of their soul within. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual work that is done within us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. 
The old has gone, the new has come. We read a number of verses, particularly from Romans, that speak of the new life that you and I have been brought into through the work of Jesus Christ. And then finally, being united with Christ through faith means four things. Number one, I have been forgiven of my sins by God. Hallelujah. If you are united with Christ, you have put your faith in the work of Christ on the cross. His payment for your sin then you are forgiven by God of every bit of guilt. Hallelujah. Declared by God to be justified. Thirdly, given the assurance of eternal life in place of death. And finally, called into a new life, a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn back to the front of the page. And let's read together Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Hallelujah. Aren't those wonderful verses? So let me tell you this morning, you have something in your possession that not one of the 1.2 Muslims in the world possess. You have assurance of salvation and assurance of eternal life. They are in the midst of Ramadan, fasting from morning till sundown, doing good deeds, reading the Quran, spending nights in the mosque praying, working towards doing all that they can to have merit with God so that when they die, they will find that their sins are forgiven and they will be welcome into paradise, but they will end Ramadan in celebration, but without any assurance that they have been forgiven. You see why this is good news? And why Jesus expects us who know the good news to tell others for whom he died? If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you don't keep this news to yourself. You tell others so that they can experience what Christ has done for them. A second and final point. There are many Christians, when you look around, they don't look like a new life in Christ. They look like the same old person. And when they speak, you don't hear the words of Christ. You hear the words of self. When you find that, 
there's something suspect. Because really, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He or she is indwelt by the Spirit of God that gives you new desires, a new perspective, and a desire to live for the purposes of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. Friends, check yourselves. Because what did the Apostle Paul say to the Corinthians? We read it. He says the same thing to the Colossians. He emphasizes it over and over again. If you continue. Friends, don't stop walking with Christ. The Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The resurrected Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, you and I have no other basis for being right with God except faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Don't neglect that living relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted. Don't throw it away. Don't engage yourself with this world because this world, the Bible says, and everything in it is passing away. The one who does the will of God, who follows like Jesus followed the will of the Father, will live forever. That's really good news. So good that you don't want to do anything to let it go, to replace it with some other way of life. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus. After speaking of the work that Christ has done in dying and being resurrected and the new life that we have in Christ, the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, how many of you would say this morning, I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been raised with Christ. Okay, so if you have been raised with Christ, then praise, set your heart on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. And crystal, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. That's the good news of the resurrection. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We exalt you. We honor you today. There is no one who compares with you. Thank you for dying in our place and paying the penalty of our sin. Thank you for disarming principalities and powers. Thank you for taking the keys of death and hell. Thank you for writing our names in the book of life. Your book of life. Documenting that we have put our faith in you. 
And that our lives are hidden in you. And that our destiny is eternal life because of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as our great high priest in heaven, our advocate, you expend yourself to intercede for us. We pray that you would strengthen us in you. For we want to live this new life, not a compromised life, not a life that will fail or fall, but we want to live a life that follows you, brings honor to you, gains your recognition and approval, brings you honor and glory. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to know in our lives the power of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That we would be strengthened with power in our inner being so that we could live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us the resurrection spirit of Christ so that we can put to death self and sin in our lives and do those things that fulfill the will of God. Father, we pray that you would enable us to follow you this week with all of our hearts. Yes, Lord. We thank you that you so loved us that you gave your son. We thank you that you have justified us through the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have made us your children. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Yes, Amen. Amen.